I knew that my next step was to inquire from the Lord, you know, to turn to the Lord, to seek the Lord, to seek his face and to say, Lord, you know, what do you have? What are your plans? What are your dreams for my life? Because what I found out, Joel, is no matter how big my dream is, you know, that God has put in my heart, you know, for my life, my family, my mission, God's dream is even bigger. And so really, Joel, you know, some people think when their dream ends, that's it, life ends. But that's just not true. Dreams are like seasons, you know, they come and go. I'm Joel Moss, and this is the Native Missions Podcast. This is truly a refuge, and you can see it on the children's faces. The most receptive people for the gospel would have been those people who were outcast. Actually, shining a light on millions of people who have no Invincible Joy is the title of a new book by Oliver Asher, the president of Advancing Native Missions. He joined me in the studio to talk about the book and his life. But his passion is wanting people to understand that whatever their background, whatever their circumstance, they too can experience invincible joy through Christ. In the studio today is Oliver Asher, our president of Advancing Native Missions, and You've got a book out called Invincible Joy. Tell me what the genesis of that was when it when this first started rolling. What were your initial thoughts like? Because I'm not sure. I don't think you said I want to write a book. It was sort of suggested to you that your life story is very interesting, which our listeners will find out. But when you first heard, okay, we're going to have a book about me, what was your what was your initial reaction, Joel? That's a great question. First of all, thanks for having me today. So let me tell you a funny story, Joel. Uh, when I first joined Advancing Native Missions in 1996, Bo Barreto took me out to churches. We would go to churches and speak at these churches. And I was very shy to share my testimony because I thought I was receiving all the glory. I was taking glory away from God. But then Bo helped me to realize, hey, God gave you your story. You know, you're giving him the glory because you didn't write your story. God wrote your story. And so I began to share my testimony. So really, that's where it all began. And then you're right, just in the last year, really, uh, Amber, our VP for marketing, came to me and she said, Oliver, you know, your story is just uh, an interesting story. You know, I think it would be good to write a book and, you know, and tell people your story. And honestly, I thought, you know, someday I might write a book, and but it wasn't really ever pressing, like you said. You know, it wasn't something that I was really wanting to do. but not, on, not, on, not, not up top on your bucket list. Exactly. Not the top of my bucket list. Something I thought I might do, but then when Amber suggested it, it seemed like the right time. And so I, so I agreed and said, yes, you know, let's, let's write a book. And, you know, and right away, Joe, I knew that uh, it was going to be about joy. And, and of course, like you said, the title is Invincible Joy and uh, knowing that source of Invincible Joy, Jesus. Well, for... Listeners who aren't familiar with you or Advanced Native Missions, Bo Barreto was our one of our co-founders. Um, he was a president for the last long season, and you succeeded him. Um, and he was he was your mentor, um, and for, still is um, in many ways. Um, and so he was influential in those early years when you were here. And 
like everybody else, being drawn out of the things that I don't think I can do that. And somebody else looks at you and go, oh, you'd be great at that. <laughs> or you're not thinking about <laughs> exactly. this correctly. Yeah, I have a few of those moments too. I think, I think we all do. Well, the book is out. It's Invincible Joy. I've read a good chunk of it. And I knew some of your story, but reading the book has filled in some of the details and given it a, a correct chronology. This happened after this because, you know, we'll hear you share something in a staff meeting or just in a conversation and it's a, it's a snippet of your life, but I don't always get the, the correct context like the before and after. So reading the book was, was good to learn, learn about you in the progression. And, you know, you in the book are very purposeful in saying, my life story, I'm framing it on this concept that, you know, periods of hopelessness or potential hopelessness led to joy. And how did that happen? And then that joy has led to a purpose. And so early on in the book, you talk about, um, it's not a matter of how to avoid suffering. It's a matter of how to redeem it. Can you talk a little bit about why you phrased it that way? Yeah. So, Joel, let me, yeah, just go back and touch base a little bit on why you just talked about the, really, the book is about a journey from hopelessness to invincible joy to purpose. And, you know, like a lot of people, I started off in a, you know, rough situation. Um, my uh, dad was in prison when I was born. My mom was 16 and pregnant. She was 17 when I was actually born. Spent the first 13 days of my life in an oxygen tent. Uh, they didn't know if I was going to live or die. So I uh, had a very rough beginning. And we were in Florida at the time, moved to Virginia, and, you know, and really began to live when I was about five years old, uh, just a country life. And Joel, my whole story really is the, the premise is that it doesn't matter where you start in life or even today where you are in life, what your circumstances are, you know, what you're facing, the pain, the struggle, whatever it is, that you can have invincible joy and, and you can be an overcomer uh, through invincible joy of whatever your circumstance is. And that's life. Life is, you know, hard situations, struggle, uh, challenges, difficulties, but again, uh, you know, through God, through Jesus, uh, he will give you that joy that helps you to overcome anything that you face. So yes, as I was reading Invincible Joy, it was obvious you were not just wanting to tell your story, but the lessons that you learned. So let's go back to those early years where you started to learn some of these lessons. Um, you talked about being young, about your really early years, and that you you hinted at that you moved to the woods or you moved to the hills or whatever the word was, uh, that was a significant, that was a start to a significant portion of your life because you ended up staying there and growing up there. Tell us about those early years and some of the things that, that formed you to be the man you are today. Yeah. So yeah, Joel. So again, you know, had, yeah, had the rough start in Florida. That's where I was uh, born to a 17 year old mom, to a dad that was in prison. And I think what happened is once dad got out of prison, that uh, they decided to move back to Virginia. That's where he was from originally. Probably get a fresh start, you know, because he uh, he had actually escaped from prison at one point and then was put back into prison for two more years. So, you know, considered like 
uh, dangerous. And so anyway, so once he got out, then we moved to Virginia. Yeah, Southwest Virginia, uh, the uh, foothills of the, the Appalachian Mountains there. And really, yeah, just began to live, you know, hillbilly life, country life. You know, uh, if you've heard of uh, Jeff Foxworthy's, uh, you know, you know you might be a redneck if, well, that that was my people group. You know, we talk at A&M a lot about people groups. So my people group was a redneck people group. And so we moved, uh, you know, into the holler, what I'd call the holler. It's called Rush Creek uh, Holler. And uh, just near my grandma and grandpa, we started out in a little trailer on, uh, you know, side of a mountain. And when I was 12 years old, something significant happened in my life. Our trailer burned down. So everything we had, the little bit we had, you know, it all burned up. I was actually very grateful that my mom wasn't, uh, you know, burned up in the fire. Uh, But, you know, from there, we moved into a tool shed on the property. So we were, uh, again, you know, we didn't have any extra savings. So we just decided, hey, we'll, you know, move into this tool shed for six months, save up some money, make a down payment on another trailer. So then that six months uh, turned into six years. So we lived into this tool shed for six years, literally had a light bulb in the middle of the room, uh, no, there, no other electricity, no running water, nothing like that. And, you know, and that's where, again, the Jeff Foxworthy, you know, redneck jokes come in. You know, you might be a redneck if it, re- if it requires a tennis shoes and flashlight to go to the bathroom at night. Uh, you know, you might be a redneck, you know, if you mow your lawn and you find a car, uh, you know, you... <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, that was really, you know, kind of our simple country life. But let me say, Joel, just backtracking a little bit, something significant, the most significant thing that had happened in my life before that, that when I was about seven years old, uh, we had just moved there. And my grandmother, Lily, my actually my dad's mom, shared the good news of Jesus with my mom, Carol. And so mom believed in Jesus right away. And then she shared Jesus with me and my brother and sister. So we all believed in Jesus right away. And so I just, you know, remember, you know, hearing the good news of the Savior that, you know, left heaven, came down to earth, was born in the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, died a horrible death on a cross because of my sin and the sin of the world, was put in a tomb, resurrected, ascended to heaven, and promised to come back. And man, when I heard that news, Joel, that was the good news. Uh, you know, and even as a seven-year-old boy, I, I knew I was a sinner. You know, I'd already stolen a, you know, a Swiss Army knife, you know, from the five and dime. You know, we had five and dimes back then. And, you know, and and I had, you know, said bad words and I had, you know, uh, beaten up my brother, you know, and those kind of things. So I knew I was a sinner even, you know, as a little boy. And and so to hear that good news, though, of Jesus, you know, and a Savior that, you know, loved me enough to die on the cross. And I actually, Joel, have the same testimony as Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, where Paul tells Timothy, the faith that I saw in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I see in you. And so I owe my faith to my grandmother Lily, who shared the gospel with my mom, Carol. And so I'm very grateful for grandmas, praying grandmas, praying moms, you know, that uh, share the good news, you know, with their children and grandchildren. So, but we were living the country life there, Joel. We were, um, my dad was an iron worker when he wasn't working iron, when he'd be laid off from that, we would uh, cut wood in the winter, you know, literally just cut it up, uh, you know, load the pick up up and, you know, take it into town and sell it. Uh, during the summer, we would log. And so my first football workouts were, you know, with a steel chainsaw, right? Going up and down the mountains. And then a 10 pound mall where I would, you know, split up all the wood. Me and my brother were, you know, my my dad's helpers. So yeah, so that, you know, but that that was life, you know, in the country. We we literally had a hose that ran from a, from a spring in the holler down into our house. 
Um, but like I said, we really didn't have much electricity the whole time we were there. We heated everything with a wood stove. Even the cook stove was a wood stove. Uh, in the wintertime, my coaches uh, would let me come into the school and take showers, especially when I was in high school. And so that, again, that was life. We had a creek. Good thing about living in the mountains, you always have fresh, clean water. So we had a creek that ran nearby. We'd wash everything in the creek, you know, wash our dishes, wash our bodies in the summer, wash, you know, our cards, whatever we need to wash, we'd wash in the creek. And, um, but that was, that also obviously Joel formed a lot of character and that was part of God's plan for my life. Uh, probably the worst thing that happened during that time, uh, was that my sister was killed in a car accident. And so I was 16, she was almost nine. Uh, she was killed in an accident and, you know, and that was the worst day of my life, you know, just coming home, my parents, I could see just the pain on their faces. Their faces were contorted. And I was like, what's happened? What's, what, what's, you know, what's going on? And they said, Missy, Missy died in a car accident. And I had just seen her a couple hours before. I'm like, what? You're kidding me. So, so again, so hard experience here, you know, living in that tool shed, especially when my sister was killed. But Joel, we were able to overcome that because of invincible joy. Because when I met Jesus, I met the source of invincible joy. And that really has become the story of my life, Joel. And so, as you can see, had a very hopeless beginning, but through Jesus had that invincible joy, that overcoming joy, you know, that overcomes, again, heartache, suffering, pain, whatever it is, and then leads to purpose. And so that's kind of, you know, that was uh, the beginning of my life. Well, it's um, it was a rough start and it, when you look back on it now or when you're telling the story and contrasting it with, you know, where your life is now, someone like me who has never lived that way, it sounds very, very hard. But you mentioned several times in Invincible Joy that that you didn't really know uh, the sparseness of your circumstances. At when, That's when, right. would, when would you say that you started to get a picture of like, oh, well— other families don't live quite like this or other families don't live anything like this. When did that, when did that awareness start to grow or was it just kind of a overtime kind of thing? Yeah, that's a great question, Joel. So of course I recognized it somewhat when we were there, you know, even in the beginning, again, when we lived in the trailer, you know, we had indoor plumbing, we had electricity, everything kind of, you know, the comforts that, that most people have when we moved into the tool shed, obviously, you know, we were living a very stark life, stark existence. And I knew, I knew we were, we were going through a hard time. And at the same time, there is quite a bit of poverty in the, you know, in Appalachia. And so it's not unusual, you know, for people to have outhouses, at least then, you know, talking seventies and eighties. So, so I knew we were, you know, we were, we were having hard times, but at the same time, other people had hard times too, you know, so it wasn't a huge deal. However, what I would say is, so, you know, just picking up again on the kind of the football story that comes in here. So neither of my parents graduated from high school. And so for their dream for me and my brother and sister were just to graduate from high school. That was the big dream. So to go to college was just really beyond their expectation. But the Lord blessed me with the talent to play football. And like I said, my first workouts were really in the woods with my dad. And I'm really very grateful for that now. Uh, so, but it was during those high school years when, again, we, we, you know, I was going to the high school, befriending the coaches. They were befriending me, allowing me to come in, take showers, you know, and I would work out obviously at the high school. And so then we had my junior year, we had a coach uh, move in, Coach Alderman. He was really, 
an awesome man of God. He was, became a mentor of mine right away. Uh, just a godly man, you know, loved his wife, loved his children, just a great example of Christ. And up until then, Joel, uh, in terms of football, our school, we're 20-year perennial losers. We'd had like four winning seasons. So, the, you know, it didn't look like there was, you know, much hope for a future there. But uh, Coach Halderman, he led us to a district championship my senior year. And so, you know, we went from bottom dwellers to, you know, district champions. And that really put me on the map, you know, in terms of being recruited. And it really, again, I owe so much credit to Coach Alderman because he was out there selling me, getting the film out. And so Virginia, eventually they offered me, I had several offers, but Virginia was the one that, you know, offered me. And I said, wow, you know, I, I want to go to Virginia. I visited, I loved it and decided to go to Virginia. But let me say, going back to your question, when did I realize, you know, the difference? When I moved from that tool shed to a UVA first year dorm, then I realized the difference. Like, wow. You know, so all of a sudden, you know, I'm going from the tool shed to a UVA first year dorm, obviously 24-7 hot water, you know, electricity, indoor plumbing, 24-7 food court, you know, just all the food you can eat. So that that was really probably, you know, when I realized, wow, you know, this is the way that most of the rest of the world lives. And then funny situation, Joel, my first year at UVA, we went to a bowl game. It was a first bowl game, you know, in, in football and in college football, if you have a good season, you get rewarded with what's called a bowl game at the end. Well, we went to the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. So now, so you can imagine in 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 June, I'm, you know, in this shed and in in July, I'm at uh, UVA in a first year dorm. In December, we're staying in five-star hotels, you know, traveling around the city, you know, police escort, chartered buses, you know, gifts. So, you know, so that was definitely uh, kind of a little bit of a culture shock there, you know, going from one situation to the other. But at the same time, you know, I thank the Lord for my humble beginnings because everything has just been um, a blessing, you know. So when you when you start out with that, you know, you really, I believe, appreciate, you know, what you have. And it really does, uh, you know, that's one of, again, I believe the foundations for Invincible Joy or it comes out of Invincible Joy is a grateful heart. And so that's something I believe the Lord has given me again because of that journey. Isn't this great? There's a lot of wisdom and inspiration packed into Oliver's story. I hope you're getting a lot out of it. We'll get right back to my conversation with him, but I want to pause for just a moment to tell you about a free prayer resource. It's designed specifically for someone like you with a passion for missions. It's called 21 Ways You Can Advance the Kingdom Through Prayer. There are 21 prayer themes, more than 60 specific prayer prompts, background information about mission fields around the world, and quotes from missions leaders. If you care about missions, this is for you. It's an excellent way to make missions a regular part of your prayer routine. Or if you are trying to get that prayer routine started, this could be the prayer guide that helps you do that. Again, it's free, and it's a simple way to line up your heart and your prayers with God's global mission. If that sounds good, go to advancingnativemissions.com forward slash pray to download your copy. That's advancingnativemissions.com forward slash pray. And now back to my conversation with Oliver. While reading Invincible Joy, you begin to talk about dreams. You talk about dreams you had, you talk about broken dreams, and you basically give a what I would say is kind of a, a universal statement that we all experience broken dreams. And it's 
what what do we do in the midst of that when when our dream has been shattered or in your words, I think it's pulled out from underneath us or it feels like it has. And you don't make a statement of, this is what I thought. You say, this is what you need to ask. God, what are you doing in my life? Why do you say that with such conviction in, in Invincible Joy? Yeah, that's a great question, Joel. So Joel, as a young man, of course, you know, when I started to achieve success in sports, moved from high school to college, I think most young men, certainly a lot of the ones that I was around, when you when you achieve that level of success, then you know you have a dream that hey, you know why not achieve the next level? And of course, the next level in football would be to play in the National Football League. So that was my dream coming out of high school. Hey, I'm you know playing Division One uh, football, you know, in a Power Five school, and why not you know make it to the next level? Would love to make it up to my mom. You know, build her that house on the hillside. You know, if there's money left over, buy that uh, nice, uh, you know, candy red uh, Corvette that, you know, I always dreamed of having. And, you know, but it, it doesn't always work out that way. So, you know, went to UVA, played football, you know, and, and to get to the next level, I mean, 1% of high school players get to the that level, right? And then probably less than 1% of college level players get to the next level. So reality hit, you know, that, hey, you know, after college, you're going to be hanging up the cleats. And that, you know, hits most of us at some point in life, right? We realize the dream that got us to this point, which thank God that it did. Uh, but that dream is ending. That dream is dying. And, and it was hard because as an athlete, you know, that was my identity, you know? And, and so to, to be losing that identity, it's like, wow, you know, what do I do next? But like you said, Joel, I knew that my next step was to inquire from the Lord. You know, to turn to the Lord, to seek the Lord, to seek his face and to say, Lord, you know, what do you have? What are your plans? What are your dreams for my life? Because what I found out, Joel, is no matter how big my dream is, you know, that God has put in my heart, you know, for my life, my family, my mission, God's dream is even bigger. And so really, Joel, you know, some people think when their dream ends, that's it. Life ends. But that's just not true. Dreams are like seasons, you know, they come and go. And so that first dream of playing professional football, that got me to where I was, you know, that got me to UVA, to meet my wife, which was the best thing that happened to me at UVA, to meet Andrea, to marry her. And then three months later, we were uh, in the Dominican Republic as missionaries and then came back to Charlottesville, started a family. But so, but at first when I realized, you know, that I wasn't going to be playing at the next level, that was hard. But I knew exactly what I needed to do. I needed to inquire of the Lord. I needed to, you know, seek his face, you know, and say, Lord, I know you have a dream. I know you have a plan. I want to follow that. And so really, so that was the next step. So, you know, was graduating, marrying Andrea, moving to the DR for a year, coming back, and then starting a family after that. And as I as you're sharing that, I'm thinking about identity is a big it's a it's a it's a large word it's a loaded word in our society our culture here in America at this point in time and there's a lot of i would say there's a lot of cultural push to look inside for your identity and so if you have a dream that's crushed it doesn't seem like most of the world is saying well hey you got to go to god to to f- ask him to show you like, where do you go or whose are you? And are you 
what you do or are what you think and feel, or are you something else, something more definitive, something more valuable that God says you are? And you don't make any, you don't hesitate to call that this is where you need to go in those times when it's tempting to look inside or throw yourself a big pity party or start complaining to everybody else, which is natural, but not helpful that God's the one who's, he's forming us. And you talk in the, you talk in the book about, you know, he's working all things, you know, us as believers, we have those promises and it's not up to us to tell God you're not doing it right. It's up to us to ask God, what are you, what are you doing and why are you doing this? And even if I don't understand, because you, t- you say that too, even if I don't understand, I'm still called and told to look, to look to you. And you give credit again, back to your mom and your grandma that you, you, you learned that and you were, you were given that gift of turning in the right direction sooner rather than later and not having to, like many of us learn, (laughs) learn that turning the other way doesn't really get you any farther. And you end up having to come back to this point again and go, okay, well, this time I'm going to look at God instead of chasing somewhere else. So so you you lost the dream of football and you had to ask, God, what are you doing? You had met your wife-to-be. I think you, may, you were engaged or you were married. I guess you didn't marry till after college, but you were seriously dating Andre at that point. So I think in, the, in Invincible Joy, you talk about you both were seeking that thing. Um, That's right. You were, you were having a little rockier ride than your wife was during that time. <laughs> That's right, Joel. And Joel, that is a great analysis. It really goes back to identity, you know, and my firm identity was in Jesus Christ. You know, again, like you said, I, I, I received that from my grandmother, and my mother, but at the same time, you know, in this world, God gives you gifts. You're good at something. You pursue that. You have a dream. And then, and I remember it was my third year at UVA and, you know, and it's normal when you play at that level uh, that you won't play your first year, even your second year, but by your third year, you know, especially if you certainly have aspirations to go on, you need to be playing and probably starting and, you know, and start for two years and then, you know, to have an opportunity. But I wasn't playing. I still wasn't playing. I was so frustrated. I seriously considered transferring to another school that had offered me a scholarship. You know, I, I, I did horrible in my classes that semester, that first semester of my third year. Again, I was, I was really checking out. I was like, you know, Lord, uh, you know, I've, I, this is a dream I have. Checking out, meaning not handling it well. Right. Like checking out in terms of yep. emotionally, I was somewhere else. Exactly. That's right, Joel. So even with, you know, that identity in Christ, realizing that, you know, I had my period of struggling through that, you know, through that transition, but I did come back around and realize, hey, you know, number one, I was involved in a great church, great local church. Number two, I was very serious with my soon-to-be fiance, wife. And then, and third was that, you know, I was getting an education from a great university. You know, I was going to have a great degree. So, you know, when you looked at everything else, then, hey, you know, it it looked pretty good, you know? And so football wasn't working out, but all these other areas of life were, were flourishing and prospering. And so ended up staying there my fourth year, played, lettered, you know, start off, you know, on the field against the Georgia Bulldogs uh, between the hedges, 
you know, that was our first game my senior year and, and just being out on the field, you know, with 80,000 crazy Georgia fans, that was a lot of fun. And then we, you know, had a good year, ended up going to another bowl game. I got hurt toward the end of the year, so I didn't get to play in the bowl game, but still just to be a part of it, you know, to letter that year, it, it, you know, it worked out very well, but it was a, it was a tough transition. Yeah. And I would say that as you share about that experience, that that is this semester of struggle or whatever you titled it, that it's tempting and very easy to focus on what you've lost instead of what do you still have? And that seems to be attacked of the enemy. This, 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 you know, discontent, you don't specifically use that word in, in invincible joy, but you talk about, this is what's good. Here's what God has for me. And it keeps the, the mentality of looking back at what I don't or what I used to have and I don't anymore and looking forward. You're very, you know, this idea of dreams that you bring up and what's God have for me ahead. It's a very forward focus instead of backward, um, which can lead to, yeah, I, I'm good at looking backward. <laughs> I got a couple of rear view mirrors installed seemingly permanently in my life. So yeah, it you know, Joel, and there's a reason that our windshields are huge, right? And our rear view mirror is small, right? You always want to keep focusing on that uh, windshield, right? Looking forward. And you're exactly right. It just, you know, I had to recalibrate. I had to remember, you know, where was my true identity? Yeah, football was awesome. I loved it, you know, played at a high level, but it was a game ultimately. And, you know, it was a means to an end and it had gotten me to where I was and I was very grateful for it. But like you said, when I considered, you know, all of life, where I was, all the other good things happening in my life, then, you know, it was a no brainer. It was, you know, Hey, let's continue the path that we're on. God has me here for a reason and a purpose. And so it was really though, yeah, going back to my you know, identity in Jesus and just knowing, hey, that's first and foremost. So, Well, there's a lot to your story. I don't feel like we need to summarize each chapter, but you, you talk in an invincible joy about going through that cycle repeatedly that it's not just everybody has a dream that dies, but this is something to expect to happen numerous times. And that you mentioned in some of the later chapters, you talk about losing your life. You talk about, you mentioned the verse, the verses in Philippians where Paul talks about Christ emptying himself and that that for you is a, is a good way to think about as you're tracing your dream and you, you put it in this context in invincible joy. Like, how do you know where God's leading you? Um, how do you know if this is an opportunity? You have some really great advice about looking at life as it unfolds in front of you and how to make decisions in the middle of that. And you, you offer advice saying, look, we, we, we follow Christ's example. And it's in many ways, it's counterintuitive to what our flesh wants, but it's very much in line with what following Christ is. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So Joel, going back to just the dream, you know, all of us as kids, right? We start off as dreamers. You know, we want to do things in life, right? We want to be an astronaut. We want to be a firefighter, a policeman, whatever it is, you know, that God, you know, or, or we have in our hearts to aspire to, right? Whoever that hero or example has been to us. But along life's way, I feel like, you know, we get beat up, you know, especially by our enemy. We have an enemy, 
Joel, you know, and it's Satan and it's, and even this world, you know, can be hard and harsh. And, you know, along the way we get beat up and, you know, in the dream, a lot of times is gone even before we get to fulfill it. And so I was blessed to be able to at least, you know, fulfill my dream and realize that that wasn't the ultimate dream, but you're right. You know, for me, the way I experienced Joel was that, again, once I got through that, that first episode of my dream dying and that, that is wow. Right. I mean, that's, that's a big life change is, you know, here you have this dream, you're going along and, and now it's gone. Right. So what's next? And I, I, I had that happen to me again, you know? So after that, I, my major was environmental science. So I went on the uh, environmental science and engineering route, ended up actually going back to UVA, getting another degree in civil engineering with a, a emphasis in environmental engineering. And so was on that path. And Andre and I, we had both, uh, we had missions in our heart. As I mentioned before, we'd been missionaries for a year in the DR. Uh, we were actually, my wife is Hungarian uh, American, first generation. So we thought maybe of going to Hungary and planning a church and I would work as an engineer, those kind of things. So we were, again, you know, we're on the, you know, we're looking for God's will in our life. And I think again, you know, a lot of us are right. Certainly as Christians, as, you know, people that want to fulfill God's purpose for their lives. Um, but none of those doors were opening up, looked in the seminary, none of those doors open up. So I'm like, okay, what's in my hand. I have an environmental science background. I'm going to get an environmental science, um, our environmental engineering degree and pursue an engineering dream, right? I'm going to be become an engineer. Joel, so I graduate with my degree, uh, my master's in engineering. About a year later, I had a dream, a literal dream this time. And in that dream, I was laid off from my engineering job. Two days later, that dream came true. The literal dream came true. I walked into my office. We were a local engineering firm. Uh, this is the mid-90s. By this time, we were merged and we were owned out of Boston. They decided to phase out my department, so they didn't need me as a manager anymore. So my boss, though, who is a friend of mine, said, hey, I'm going to keep you as long as I can, but you know, you need to start looking. So, Joel, I'm, I'm back at square one. It's like, man, Lord, you know, I, I knew uh, you know, the football dream. You know, I, 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 I you know, realized that wasn't the ultimate dream. I thought Again, this was maybe the ultimate dream. You know, it's it's my first ministry, Joel, has always been to my family. I knew I could provide well for my family, you know, through being an engineer. I knew I could provide for God's kingdom, give generously to the kingdom. But God had a different plan. So I had to begin to realize that now, you know, here I am at this crossroad again. And at the time, just to kind of, you know, finish the story, I was going to church at a local church with a, a brother. Uh, his name was Bo Barreto. And he was a Filipino. He was part of a missions organization. I didn't know anything about him or his organization. I just knew he traveled around the world. I knew he had a beautiful family. He loved his wife, his children. And we would pray for him when he would be in Sunday school class. When he found out I was in transition, he, being one of the co-founders of Advancing Native Missions, came to my wife first and said, hey, tell Oliver to come by. And so I was in transition. It's like, okay, Lord, you know, I'm, I, I trust you. I've been through this once before. So at least I know, you know, God has a plan. He has a purpose. And Joel, one of my life theme verses is Romans 8, 28. You know, we know that all things happen for good to those that love God are called according to his purpose. So I know that, you know, if a dream is dying, I know God has a better plan. He has a bigger dream. And so, you know, so I was trusting in that. 
So I go by AM, number one. They were very small at the time, probably about seven people. They were in a tiny office space, you know, on top of a building. And I went in, number one, the vision with Matthew 24, 14, when the gospel of the kingdom has been preached throughout the world as a witness to all nations in the end will come. What a great vision, right? But the really intriguing part of my visit there was to realize their mission was to encourage, equip, and advocate for native missionaries that were strategic, fruitful, and preaching the gospel to unreached people groups around the world. And I was like, wow, what a mission. And then finally, just the love that they had for each other. So my wife and I, we prayed about it. Again, I knew Joel as an engineer, you know, I was going to be able to provide well for my family. And I was even interviewing for other engineering jobs. I was one of the top prospects at one of the local engineering firms. So when I came to AM, you know, I had some different options. So I was really praying, Lord, you know, my family, my children, they like to eat. You know, I want to be able to provide for them. I know that's my first ministry. And I really need to know that, you know, you are opening this door. And I prayed about it, Joel, and God made it very clear. At the time, I was reading about David and Samuel, where again, David would inquire of the Lord, you know, Lord, do I fight the Philistines? You know, how do I fight them? And the Lord would tell him, you know, yes, you fight them or no, don't fight them. He would even give him strategies for fighting the Philistines. So, and I was at that place in my life. I didn't want to hear from any person. I just wanted to hear from the Lord. I wanted to hear a, a word from the Lord that this was the right path. And so the Lord made it very clear and, and showed me that it was the right path. Literally, that was a Sunday night, praying at the altar. The next morning, I went in, resigned my engineering position. Two weeks later, I was at Advanced Native Missions, and that was in June of 1996. So again, and, and let me just say, God has been faithful. He's taken care of my children, and that was my concern. You know, I didn't want my children to hate God, to hate me, hate Uncle Bo, you know, because we were, you know, so impoverished and, and poor that, you know, uh, we we couldn't feed ourselves, but God has been faithful. He's provided so tremendously uh, for our family, for my children. And Joel, that so that was the second, you know, dream dying and transition, you know, into a new dream. And really, and that's where I would say, you know, I went from hopelessness, you know, as a child to invincible joy, you know, when I met Jesus. And then finally, really at AM, have I feel like my purpose has been fulfilled because I've been able to be a part of preaching the gospel in over a hundred countries. And for a boy that was raised in the Holler and Rush Creek in the Appalachian Mountains, you know, that that is something pretty wonderful to be a part of. Yeah, it sure is. And today, Joel, you know, the Lord has allowed me actually to probably travel to about, you know, 40 nations to meet these indigenous missionaries that we serve. You know, that's what we're all about is serving, uh, you know, these uh, missionaries that are on the front lines and giving up their lives for the gospel. And so God has allowed me to fulfill that purpose in my life. At the end of Invincible Joy, you pull a lot of things together and make some application and some, you know, here's how to move forward. Here's how to go on. Or if this book has been helpful, this is what I hope, you know, you take away and apply. Can you go f- through some of, the, some of the things that you're asking readers to think about and, and to apply in their lives? Yes, Joel. So, Joel, what I'd like to say about, you know, kind of in conclusion is that what I want people to see, especially people maybe that have, again, they've gotten, uh, you know, they've had a rough start in life, you know, or life hasn't been good to them, or they've had a dream and the dream died. You know, anybody that's, you know, stuck in those kind of circumstances, stuck in hopelessness, which obviously is a lot of our world today is, you know, is, uh, people are just stuck there. 
is to give them hope to know that they can have invincible joy and to let them know they can have invincible joy. Jesus is the source of invincible joy. And invincible joy is an overcoming joy that no matter what happens in life, again, no matter what kind of pain, suffering, circumstances you have, that you can be an overcomer through Jesus. And going back to to Romans 8, 28, you know, all things do happen for good, that God can work good, um, you know, out of any bad circumstance. And so no matter where you've started, no matter what dream you've had, you know, if you've lived it out or if it's died, you know, the Lord has a dream for you. He has a plan for you. And what I would say is that, you know, as I've gotten older, Joel, that it's become more important to me to think about legacy. You know, what what legacy am I leaving? And I, and I believe as human beings that, you know, all of us want to leave a legacy, right? I mean, we want to leave a, a good legacy, a legacy for our children, our family, the world. And so for me, I've been blessed to be able to pass this legacy of invincible joy, first of all, to my family, you know, to my children. I'm very grateful to have children, you know, that are, that, that love the Lord, that are, you know, walking with the Lord and, but also, you know, not just to our family and, and they're passing that on to, to their families, but also to the world. And I've been able to do that through advancing NATO missions. I'm very blessed to be able to have, you know, participated in seeing the gospel go out to over a hundred nations. And that's again, God's legacy through me. And, you know, and again, going back to, to all of us, Joel, we, right, as humans, we have that desire to want to leave something good behind. And so I just want to encourage, you know, all of our listeners to know that God wants to use them for his glory. He wants to leave a legacy through them for their families. You know, they can, no matter where their families have started out, no matter, you know, what generational curses they may be facing, you know, they may, there may be a lot more to overcome but they can overcome through invincible joy and they could leave a, a, a good legacy for their family. They can leave a good legacy for the world, no matter where, you know, where they are in the world, no matter what occupation they do, they can leave that legacy for a better world. So that's what I would like to, to, to leave Joel. Well, there is, um, we've talked a lot about a lot of great things, but invincible joy contains even more that we didn't, get to, but the book is available and um, encourage listeners to uh, go to your favorite reseller and uh, search for Invincible Joy by Oliver Asher. It's been great to have you here. appreciate your time. appreciate your heart and your enthusiasm. And I hope that Invincible Joy continues on for you, but also that the book is a vehicle for you to continue to speak about Christ and his, his central his centrality in your life and um, and other people's as well, and it it bears fruit. I know that you you hope that it does. Yes, yes that that's the ultimate goal, Joel. Number one is to glorify God, but number two is to help others to realize invincible joy. Well, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Joel. It's been good. If you would like to get a copy of Invincible Joy, you can pre-order the book at Oliver's website. It's oliverasher.com. There is a lot more to Oliver's story than we could cover in this episode, and I would encourage you to pick up the book if this discussion has piqued your interest. Oliver is also on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Oliver 
Asher Official. And thanks for listening. We hope you will join us again here on the Native Missions Podcast. God is at work around the world using Native missionaries to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the source of true, never-ending joy. Joy.